1: You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156.
2: Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LeGrecker. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, the greatest tag team wrestler of all time, Bully Ray and I talk about dark side of the ring from last night. The Dr. D. David Schultz interview. I mean, so many things to get into and we get into a lot of it with host of at the fights randy gordon the commish that you can hear right here on sirius xm fight nation the former new york state athletic commissioner we talked to him about what we saw on dark side of the ring also we talked to keith slater formerly of the wwe on what he's going to do next and my best friend in the business that's right New favorite fan of all the Police Academy movies. That's right. Cody Rhodes of AEW joins us right now on the Busted Open Podcast. For me, anxiously awaited to see this episode. Dr. D has been a controversial figure in the world of pro wrestling for decades. Hell, controversial figure right here on Busted Open. Uh, He's been a guest here on Busted Open with you and I, Bully, twice Uh, You talk about a tale of two different interviews. The first time we had him on, I remember we had him on for 34 minutes. It was a great interview uh, talking about his book, Don't Call Me Fake. And he was amazing. Um, And he talked about not only his career in pro wrestling, but his career as a bounty hunter. And as a matter of fact, when he spoke to us, uh, he was talking about that that following day, he was going to be in New York to find somebody. So uh, that was a really, really interesting 34 minutes with Dr. D's, David Schultz. I want to say it was about a little over two years ago. And then we had him on about a year ago, Bully, and we had him on, may have been the quickest interview we've ever done here on Busted Open. I want to say it clocked in at maybe three minutes and 34 seconds. So that tells you that you don't know what kind of Dr. D You're going to get, but in 19, end of 1984, uh, I think we know what kind of Dr. D David Schultz, John Stossel got when he asked that question that you just asked me.
3: So after last night's episode of dark side of the ring, I was looking forward to our show today because I wanted to ask you a question based on Dr. D being on our show twice and us interviewing him twice. After watching last night, do you feel sympathetic towards Dr. D and would he be welcome back on Busted Open again? I I would always put Dr. D back
2: on Busted Open again, though I have a I have a feeling, Bully, you'll be on the other side of that argument. And uh, and I could understand why, based on the second interview we did with him. I've always been a fan of Dr. D. David Schultz. And when I say I've been a fan of Dr. D. David Schultz, you know, um, it was the guy I love to hate. I think a lot of people love to hate because he he was, for me, the definition of a heel wrestler. Uh, He was about as real as it could get. He brought, you talk about a Brock Lesnar bringing credibility to pro wrestling. Dr. D did that uh, for the WWF back in 1984 in 1985 but he is a loose cannon i mean i think that's probably the best way to describe dr d david schultz and as much as i want to um defend the dr d david schultz before and even more so after watching that episode last night i don't think you can feel any kind of sympathy towards dr d
3: i did see a couple of tweets last night where people did feel a little sympathy as in Well, he was just doing what his boss told him to do. So, you know, Dr. D said in the documentary that Vince McMahon had instructed him to go out there and blast the guy, keyword BLAST, all caps, underscored, italics, the whole nine yards, BLAST. I guess it was Dr. D's interpretation of the word BLAST Um, and Dr. D being who he was at the time, being that. legit, legit badass. I think he took blast as pop him a shot as he did where I think me and you in hindsight think that blast meant verbally blast.
2: Yes. And especially since and I didn't know it until I saw the, the documentary last night where Vince McMahon said hey I want you to be in character. I want you to stay in character. So if, like, if your boss is saying, hey, stay in character, you know, be that Dr. D. David Schultz and blast them, Yeah, you know, I, I think most 99.9% of the people that hear that would think, you know what? That means verbally, not physically. And you would think if it's an, a reporter for ABC 2020... Why would you want to get into a physical altercation with somebody who's not an athlete at all and is just somebody that, you know, is probably, you know, 160 pounds soaking wet and is a reporter?
3: In in 2020, in the days that we're living in today, you know that you can't even look at somebody the wrong way without, you know, the worry of being sued. Everybody is sue happy these days. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. Back then, people didn't sue each other as much. But you definitely got sued for assault back in 1984. And that was full-blown assault. So I can't believe that Vince McMahon, who was building an empire at the time, wanted one of his very... Uh, known superstars to go out there and physically assault a reporter from 2020, and if uh, for those who may not know, obviously me and you know Dave, 2020 back then was a monster show on television. It was on once a week. People tuned in. Bobble Walters was on the yeah. show. Um, you know, uh, lots of um, very credible journalists. We're on 2020. It was like a 60 minutes. It was like 60 minutes. And and I'm not even sure that people realize, you know, our our younger listeners might know what 60 (laughs) minutes is, but that's why I was trying to explain 2020. (laughs) But um, these were, these were incredible news shows. Not like you watch the news today where it's more, um, I I don't know. You're fed a lot of uh, fear over facts sometimes. So, John Stossel was very, very high profile at the time. So for Vince McMahon to suggest to David Schultz, which he did not, to physically blast him, I think it was a little too much interpretation by the good doctor.
2: And there's a lot here. There's a lot to digest from that episode, which, you know, I I think we both agree the last two episodes of Dark Side of the Ring were a little underwhelming, would probably be the best way to describe the last two episodes. I thought... The Jimmy Snook episode was extremely one-sided. And, and the Dino Bravo episode was just a little underwhelming for me. This ap- episode was, I thought, excellent from beginning to end. And I thought it was great. And it really brought back a lot of strong memories of that time. Because, you know, I remember that episode of 2020. I I videotaped that episode of 2020. Like, that was back when, you know, I was full-blown so into pro wrestling that at that time, and it's kind of... Probably for a lot of younger fans, they probably wouldn't understand this. The mainstream press and mainstream shows like a 2020 never talked about pro wrestling. So, like when Warner Wolf would talk about pro wrestling after, uh, you know, a uh, a newscast or like something like 2020, I got my VCR ready because that was so rare that those types of shows would talk about pro wrestling. And there's so much here to digest because. And a lot of people forget about this and it's crazy because I always bring it up and people even tell me that I'm crazy and that it never happened. But they showed it on Dark Side of the Ring last night and that was Hogan with Richard Belzer. Like if you look at what John Stossel, what happened to John Stossel and Dr. D and you look at what Hulk Hogan did to, John, what, to Richard Belzer on late night TV. I mean, it's one and the same bully. I mean, you had Dr. D. David Schultz, you know, because, you know, John Stossel, and the way he asked that question, too. Let me ask you the standard question. Is this fake with just that pompous attitude? And he got a slap in the face, and then he got another slap in the face. You got the same type of attitude from Richard Belzer with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Now, think of this. This was after the incident with John Stossel. So you're thinking that, Hey, if anything, there's a fear in this roster where they would not want to have any physical altercations with anybody. And this is less than a year after that incident with John Stossel, Mr. T and Rich, and Mr. T and Hulk Hogan on our on Richard Belcher's late night talk show promoting the first WrestleMania and Hogan puts him in a sleeper hold. Richard Belzer collapses in his arms, and and Hogan just lets him go and lets his head just crack open on a hard floor. And that's been pretty much, Bully, erased from memory. I mean, you bring up Dr. D, David Schultz, or John Stossel, immediately you think of that incident at Madison Square Garden where Dr. D slaps him in the face. You could bring up Richard Belzer, and you think of law and order. You think of the stand-up comedian. You think of his late night talk show. You don't think of that incident. And certainly when you bring up Hulk Hogan, you don't think of that incident. It's amazing how one was used to end a career and the other one was completely wiped off the books and forgotten about.
3: Very political. Yes. Extremely. I want to follow up on two of the points you just made. Um, Getting back to the the past two episodes of Dark Side of the Ring, uh, I don't agree with you with the use of the word underwhelming when it came to the Snooker episode. I will agree on the Dino Bravo episode that I really didn't get anything that I didn't know. Uh, I think they did a, a good job of telling the story that we knew already, but for the most part... Not too much meat on the bone there. If you want to use the word underwhelming for you as your own personal take, that's fine. I'll agree with that use of the word. With the snooker episode, I didn't think it was underwhelming. I thought it was unnecessary. And this is not in defense of Jimmy. This is in defense of nothing good came out of that episode that is a very dark episode yes as dreamer likes to say it is called dark side of the ring and I get it but if you're gonna if you're gonna drudge stuff up from 30 years ago and show the dark side of the ring it, at least show me the light at the end of the tunnel even in the most tragic of stories the Chris Benoit Nancy Benoit story uh uh, uh Daniel Benoit um I got light at the end of the tunnel because of Sandra and uh, David's. I'm sorry, is it David and Dan you know you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, the two sides Sandra and and David. um I got some light, which Snooker, I got no light. And that's why I, I I thought that episode was unnecessary. So that's my choice of words hogan and 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 Richard Belzer. So that's something that I had heard about, but I, had t- I don't think I've ever seen that before. So I found myself real propped up the minute that aired last night on Dark Side of the Ring. I, I was like, oh, what's this? I don't necessarily remember this. And just seeing Hogan and Mr. T all decked out in their you know tight spandex, the weight belts, you know, uh, I mean they they looked you know so you know '80s wrestling, which just brought back childhood memories. It was very cool. When I saw Hogan. Hooked that front face lock. I went, I was like, (gasps) I gasped. Now it's just a front face lock, right, Dave? Mm -hmm. Doesn't look like that big of a deal of a hold. That one move, I am so particular about in training young wrestlers because that's the one hold. There's a couple of them that looks like it's absolutely nothing. But if you cinch it in even a little bit, bang, a guy can go out. And when I saw a massive Hulk Hogan hook skinny little scrawny rigid Belzer, when I saw him hook the hold, I was like, I didn't say anything. When I saw Hogan just rear back, even for a, did you see that, Dave? He reared back just a little bit, maybe just an inch. And Belzer went right out. The reason that happened is, Hulk probably had him underneath the throat and not underneath the chin where you're supposed to have the hold hooked. And if if your forearm doesn't lay across the guy's chin and it rides up underneath the guy's throat, the minute you cinch it in, the slightest amount of pressure will put him out. When I saw that, I was absolutely shocked. And they are, they're really lucky that Belger's brains weren't splattered across the floor because when you go out like that, you don't have a choice on how you fall down. And that's the thing. Like, obviously, I'm not
2: condoning the Dr. D. David Solt slapping of John Stossel. I think we both understand that probably the wording that even Dr. D. admits that Vince McMahon said does not mean a physical altercation. But to me, what Hogan did to Richard Belzer is far worse than what Dr. D. David
3: Schultz did to John Stossel, in my opinion. So much worse. Legitimately choked the guy out. Cut the oxygen off to his brain. Really, really bad. Listen, a smack is a smack. I'm sure John Stossel caught a smack from his mother, his father, his older brother, his sister. Everybody catches a good smack once in a while. Watch Goodfellas. They'll tell you. But what Hogan did—that is a—that's a date that's, a, that's used in the octagon to this day, legit front face lock, a front naked choke. That I, I particularly am so careful when I train younger wrestlers about. If you don't believe me, just go back and watch the 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 the, the footage of Hogan and Belzer. The minute Hogan just—and he did it gently, Dave, very gently. He reared back on it. As soon as you do that, bang, guy's going out. And he All right, so that happens, but even worse,
2: like he just lets him go. Like, yeah. you know, he's in a he's in a stand up prone position.
3: He just drops him on his head. Because Hulk didn't realize I don't know if Hulk was ever like I'm sure he was properly trained in the hold. I just don't think at that moment in time, Hulk realized that I'm taking a very, very small man into my hands. Dave, if I put you in that hold, okay, I'm 325 pounds. You're about a buck 60 soaking wet with a brick in your pocket. If I, if I you know, hook that hold on you and I just stand there, we're totally fine. If I cinch back even an inch, you're going to go out. It's one of the it's like a legit sleeper hold. Now,
2: I don't remember if they showed it last night, but I remember that cuz again, just like I said before, I videotaped that. So I'd watched that a, min- a million times. So he puts it on, like you said, he cinches back, he's out. Like you see you see Belcher's arms go like, you know, like shaking and then tense up cuz and then boom, they both collapse. And then Hogan just like just lets him go. So he falls back, he hits the back of his head, and then Belzer's out. And I don't remember if they played this or not, but he's out cold on the ground. Hogan goes over him and just starts slapping him in the face to wake him up. He's like slap he's slapping him side to side on his face to wake him up. And then Belzer jumps up to his feet and he's like, "We'll be back after it." Like he just you know, just in, you know, instinctively like gets up on his feet and throws to a break. And then they go to break, and then the story is, right after he threw to break, he collapsed again. Be- and he, like, the back of his head was busted open. Like, he had to get multiple stitches in the back of his head because of that drop from Hogan. But just seeing Hogan, like, knowing that he's... He- and blood's coming out the back of his head. He's on the ground. And Hogan's just standing over, like, slapping him in his face
3: to wake him up. And I'm like, I wonder, Holy I wonder if shit. I wonder if Hulk thought that Belzer was working him. Uh, Even at what is this before or is this before or after Lawler and Kaufman? This is well after. Maybe Hulk thought he was getting worked. I don't know. All I know is that hold is legit dangerous, and the reason Hulk just let him go is because Hulk probably wasn't expecting him to get choked out that quickly.
4: Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport. And Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you.
5: Can you
0: believe it?
4: In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds.
0: Anfield has erupted.
4: Bitter rivalries and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game.
2: Randy, how are you this morning? Thanks for the time.
6: Hey, guys. How are you, Dave? I hope you're doing fine in this uh, lockdown. Bully, I hope you guys are just doing absolutely just staying safe and healthy.
3: Thanks, thanks, Randy. You You also, buddy.
6: Thank you. Now, uh, you guys are just doing a great job. The excitement you guys always bring is amazing. I got to tell you. When I was commissioner, I always had fun with professional wrestling. I, I looked at it differently than most of the other commissioners ever did, and, and Vince McMahon used to tell me, "You are the only commissioner that I've ever truly liked." Now I don't know if he was just saying that, but know uh, I took that as a compliment, but yet he was always trying to free himself. From the bonds, if you will, of the New York State Athletic Commission and the regulation we had over wrestling, which wasn't any real kind of it was just making sure the medicals were in and the licensing was done. That that was about it. I never told him what matches he could and couldn't make.
2: So were you surprised then in nineteen eighty nine that he asked to be removed from that? You know, to, to kind of, you know, peel back the curtain and say, you know what, we're not a legitimate sport, we're entertainment.
6: No, that didn't surprise me at all. Um, I knew it was coming. And and what's so funny, ironically, how things would work out, my right-hand man, who I think you probably know because of his affiliation with the WWE, my right-hand man at that time was a guy by the name of Rich Herring.
3: Yes, I know Rich really well.
6: Well, Rich is just nothing but a great guy, as loyal, as loyal could be, as brilliant, as brilliant could be. And he told me, he was then with me, he was with me from, in my seven years as commissioner, he told me, we're going to have to be very careful because the WWE is going to be coming after us, and we're going to be taken to court because they want to free themselves from the bonds of regulation. And I said, and what will that mean for us? And he explained, well, if we're not regulating wrestling anymore, more than likely the state is going to cut our budget in half. And, Commissioner, you're going to have to let half the staff go. And uh, you know what? I don't mind running an agency or anything like that. But I'm not, I'm a softy. I am not big on firing anybody, even if they deserve to be fired. And I wasn't in the mood to take a staff of about 36 and just fire 18 of them. You know what? Let them do their, their licensing or whatever. So each and every time Vince McMahon tried to take us to court, I basically showed in court how dangerous this could be. And I said, yes, he's trying to say that it's entertainment. And it is, but so is boxing. That doesn't mean that it's any less dangerous. These guys are doing things where I'm standing in the back and I'm watching them. Once they get to the back, fall on the floor, holding their shoulder, holding their neck, holding their knees, holding their ankles, they get hurt. And if this thing is deregulated, they're going to get hurt even more. And then I said, to the judge, basically. And if they're hurt, Your Honor, there's going to be bloodshed. And that bloodshed is going to be on your hands, not mine, if you deregulate it. And they wound up keeping it for all seven years. And after I left the commission is when they deregulated it. And wouldn't you know, when I left, shortly before I left, the handwriting was on the wall with the change of administration. Rich Herring left the commission, and went to work for the WWE. And once the WWE had him on their side, it was very clear that deregulation was coming.
2: Wow. Was there ever an incident, Randy, and I'm sorry we got you on so late because we're short on time. Was there ever an incident where you had to stop a match? Was there ever an, uh, an incident where you had to interfere as commissioner?
6: Well, yeah. I mean, there was one where I had a... Uh, Andre the Giant was going to be wrestling at the Nassau Coliseum, and I had to step in minutes before the match because a medical had come back to me saying that Andre the Giant was suffering a mild heart attack, and yet they still wanted to put him in the ring, and I said, listen, here's the most I'm going to allow, and I, I basically orchestrated this whole thing and between him and jake the snake roberts and it went on for a half hour back and forth they were going but i wouldn't let andre get into the ring so i mean that was one of the times i had to step in regulation especially back then was needed and i'm glad i did it
3: randy what year was this what year what year
6: that was approximately, look up the date of Andre the Giant's death. It was some, somewhere in the mid-90s or so. It was shortly before his death that I had to stop this from going on. He was not well at all, and he, did not, he belonged probably in a hospital, not in any wrestling ring whatsoever or in any arena, not at all. And I'm glad, again, that I stopped that match from happening.
3: Did you, was that an EKG that you had read from the day of, or an EKG from Andre's past?
6: No, that was uh, an EKG that was taken that week, which the WWE was actually withholding from us. And it was because of my right-hand man, Rich Herring. He he pointed it out. He stayed all over the doctors and everything and all over the WWE. He said, before he gets in the ring, you're going to have to provide us with that EKG. And they actually held it out until the day of the match. And then I got the results. And I went running from the commission in New York City. And I drove out. I happen to live on Long Island, only a few minutes from the Nassau Coliseum. And I went over to the Coliseum, and I went in that night. And I basically, I took the uh, EKG, and I showed uh, two of the executives from the WWE. Jay who, Scarpa. who, who,
3: who, what, who did you have to deal with, Randy?
6: Jay Scarpa and Pat Patterson. They were the executives that day, and they said, "Please, Commissioner, don't do this. Just let him get in. We'll make it. We'll do this." And I said, "He's not getting in." The ring, and they pleaded with me and pleaded with me. But there was a packed crowd, and they said, well, tell you what, here's the microphone. You go tell everybody that the match is not happening. I said, that's not my job. My job is, is what I'm doing right now. You figure it out, how to deal with it.
1: Tony Ferguson, and Justin Gaethje face off for interim lightweight gold at UFC 249. Join Sirius XM Fight Nation this Sunday at noon Eastern for post-fight reaction and analysis from Jimmy Smith and RJ Clifford. Will Gaethje derail Ferguson's chance to face the undefeated Habib Nurmagomedov? I am undisputed UFC lightweight champion. This is not regular fight. This is my dream fight. Find out on your home for MMA. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 right now is somebody
2: i believe bully first time ever on busted open and we're so pleased to have this man join us right here and that is the one and only heath slater joins us right now heath how are you today
5: man i am great how about you guys we're good (laughs) oh baby
3: (laughs) how you doing baby (laughs)
5: <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't be any better, man Couldn't be any better
3: Man, it, it is absolutely <laughs> great to have you on It's great to hear your voice And I'm going to ask you how you're doing But I kind of think I know the answer You're doing great, aren't you?
5: I really am I really <laughs> am, man I mean, it's like one of those things that's like crazy to hear and crazy to say But, you know, I'm not doing bad at all <laughs> Like, at all
3: and, and Heath, I know, I know what you mean, but can you kind of explain yep. to, you know, our listeners how, you know, somebody just heard you say, I- I'm doing great. I'm not doing bad at all. And our listeners are probably thinking, well, wait a minute. If you just got released by the WWE, how could you be doing so great? Can you kind of bring us behind yep. the curtain and tell us about your feelings right now?
5: Of course, man. It's one of those things. Like, I mean, of course, yeah, it sucks. You you get released, fired, whatever it is from anywhere that you love to work for. Of course, it's going to suck. But when, when I say this, it's like people don't understand that I was there for 14 straight years. You know, I mean, I grew up on television pretty much. So it's one of those things where, like, I never was stupid with my money, I always lived below my means. I mean, hell, I got a family, you know, two little girls that I'm worried about where I stash all my money and all that stuff. But it's one of those things where, dude, I had a good career. Yes, I didn't, you know, become world champ and, hell, not even IC champ. But it's one of those things to where, like, when you look at it and you, like, you know, analyze it all, dude, I had one hell of a run and it was awesome, fun, got to meet so many new people, you know, make relationships, you know, and just – It wasn't a bad experience for me. Did I not get, you know, my way a lot? Of course. But then again, who does? But it's one of those things, man, like I had 14 years there, straight, no breaks. And now, yeah, the coronavirus might have took me out. But uh, it's just one of those things where I'm just glad that I was smart with all my money. And, you know, and like my kids are in a good school district. And, you know, I got everything I need. So, that's, that's what I say when I'm doing fine. Okay. It's all good.
2: And that's the most important thing. Bully always preaches, you know, like when you sign that contract, you know, make sure that you are taken care of and you know, while you're doing it, that the money is put away because things like this are going to happen. The B bi- the, the business does change. And obviously you were able to do that. And with children, and I'm a family man myself, I know how important it is to make sure that your kids oh, yeah. are in a, in a your kids are in a good school district and that, you're happy with that situation. And, you know, this is a term that's used a lot. And it's not just in the world of wrestling, but any business, and that's burnout. Do you think, like, you know, your career, and like (laughs) you said, all those years, would would you describe it as a bit of burnout
0: as well?
5: Man, I would describe my career as a lot of fun, you know. But once you try to sink your teeth into something you're passionate about, and you just keep hearing, "No, no, no, not now, not for you. We don't like it, blah 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 blah, but you know you can pull it off because they will always give you stuff, and you would pull it off, and it's like yes, you get burned out, and yes you you know you feel defeated, and then it makes you not want to try harder, and then it makes you feel like you can't do it, you know it's just one of those things where it's like a domino effect when you hear it so often, so yes. I was burned out, but I'm not going to quit because I'm not a quitter. You know, I'm going to try to keep swinging, man, you know, keep swinging. But obviously I kept missing. So I don't know. But yes, I was a hundred percent, you know, burnt out. Like, but I mean, I'm not like everyone that hears this, they knew I was, my family knew I was, my friends knew I was, the locker room knew I was, I mean, it just was one of those things, man, you know, it's like 14 years. You know, keep going, going, going. And the next thing you know, you get stuck in this role and you can't get out of that role. And it's just one of those things to where you keep swinging. And that's what I did.
3: Heath, obviously the most important thing over that 14 years is the amount of money you were able to make and stash away for your family, because as me and you know, and as other wrestlers know, the only thing tangible in our business is the money, and it really is the most important thing, and when you're in business, that's the number one thing you want to do, is you want to accumulate money, because you never know when something is going to go wrong, and We don't have 401ks and we don't have pension plans and all that. So we have to Mm -hmm. be, you know, we have to be our own business and our own boss. But the second thing you want to get out of your career is fun. I know you, you were always having fun, always a blast to be around. (laughs) You're, you're, you're a good brother. You're, you're fun to hang with. What was the most fun you had in your 14 years at the WWE?
5: Holy crap, man! I can write a book about that, um, but
3: like what angle or uh, what storyline or you know what what were you able to sink your teeth through what What, what did they allow you to sink your teeth into
5: they, well, of course, you know when we were first the young kids coming out of nXT and we were nexus that's what put us every one of us on the map you know let's just be in that rebel group, trying to take over that's little dent that everybody always still talks about with me was Nexus. Like, oh, man, I remember Nexus, this and that. But I just knew that like, I was young still, you know, and we would pitch ideas and, I mean, of course, they weren't listening then. But it was one of those things, that was one of the, like, fun times for me, to where it was like, holy crap, I'm here, I made it, I'm getting to work, all of these guys, holy shit. And then film we'll B, with Drew and Gender, that was a lot of fun because we kind of took, like, this rock star gimmick to, like, you know, we lived it. <laughs> so we'd be out, you know, having a good time, you know, partying, you know, all this stuff, you know, trying to live like Motley Crue. But uh, nice. you see how that turned out, you know. And then um, the one thing that I could honestly say that I was able to you know, talk about and really get my way a little bit was whenever I became that free agent. And, like, they were just wanting to, after the whole draft thing, just say, oh, we're just going to put it on the Internet that you got drafted to SmackDown. And I'm just like, no, hell no. We got something here. We got an angle here. You know, like, we could really let me go back to Raw and SmackDown, Raw and SmackDown. Let me try to earn my credit, you know. And then, thank God, Dave uh, was there, and I pitched to him. He was like, yeah. I love it. Dave and Ed, they both say, yeah, let's do that then. And, I mean, damn, it worked, you know. Like, And then I was like, well, I don't want to come down the ramp. Let me come through the crowd. Let me do this. Let me do that. Can I say this? Can I say that? And they're just like, yeah, go for it. That was, like, the very first time. And that was, what, only five years ago? You know, So it was like, that was the very first time that I actually was like, oh, wow. Like, me, you know, let my, you know, opinions and, you know, like, let me do the things that I would like to do a little bit, you know, of course I couldn't go as far as I wanted to, but yeah. But then again, like, and then the whole wholesome story of, you know, I got kids and uh, me and Rhino, and Rhino helping me and, you know, me getting that contract and winning the SmackDown tag team title. That, that to me was like a beautiful storyline where people actually could relate to, man. Like damn, I got kids too. I'd fight Brock Lesnar, you know. Like if you, you got to try to get that job, you know. It was like people. I feel like can relate to that. When you have relatable stories, my goodness, they work.
2: And you definitely had relatable stories. You first started with the Nexus, and and when you mentioned the Nexus, I get happy because everybody remembers that attack in June on Raw, and like there's so m- many. Like and 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 people don't know what was real, what wasn't, you know, you know, Daniel Bryan choking yeah. Justin Roberts with the tie and and Daniel Bryan getting fired.
5: Too.
2: Like like yeah. you didn't like that was so rare, you know, in the WWE that you had things like that. So I wanna ask you about first of all, what was going in your head that night and then ultimately how it ended at SummerSlam?
5: Um that night. It was just a lot of, I want to say, like, I don't want to say confusion, but we were, like, nervous but excited. It was, uh, we didn't really, we didn't want to hurt no one, but they told us to go and demolish everything. You know, So <laughs> just like whoever's in your way, take them out. You know, that type of deal. And it's one of those things where we, we did and it got, you know, I mean, People were crying in the stands, like, throwing stuff at us. Like, they were genuinely mad scared and upset to where we're like, hell yes. Like, that was amazing. Like, what they felt that. I mean, I just, I had a coat, you know, hit me in the back, you know. So, it was just that right there, we knew we got them. And then, going through Nexus, my goodness, I wish we could have just had her hand and her grip on it a little more because it, it died way too soon. And we all know this, like, Everyone knows it. I mean, SummerSlam, we should have took over. Period. We should have won. I mean, me, Gabriel, and Wade was the last three, and then you know, pretty much Daniel and Cena took us all out. And uh, it was just like one of those things that's like as soon as that happened, I mean, we shifted from fourth to second gear in a matter of one night. Yep. And then it was like, like damn, like we worked all this way and. It's hard, you know, for us in the company to just, for this to happen? Like, we couldn't wait a few more months to mania so you could have a mega group and surely just destroy us or whatever. But, like, yeah, it should not have ended at SummerSlam,
3: man. Heath, why? Why <laughs> did it end at SummerSlam?
5: I mean, I knew we were going over. The next thing I knew, it wasn't. So it's one of those things, you know, I'm sure there's people that walked in and out of there, changed uh, Vince's mind and all that fun stuff.
3: Did you have a say? Did you try to change Vince's mind?
5: No, man, I didn't know. We None of us knew. We were winning, and then a matter of shit, a couple matches before, we were not.
2: Oh, so, so at the beginning of that night, you thought that this you were guys were going to go over and you were going to win that match, and then somewhere... Oh, no, you we know, were the,
5: going over.
2: Oh, so you were, and we then, were then it was changed over. last minute. Wow.
5: Yeah. Wow. And, I, and still I, mean, that, I still don't know the whole story. And, and you're never going to know the whole story because they always tell you, oh, I don't know or Oh, that's what he came up with. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, you can never get the right answer. You only can get, like, around-the-bush answers, so.
3: So, to know. sum it up, in, in wrestler speak, you got politicked, and then everybody wanted to pass the heat as to who did the politicking. Pretty much. <laughs> Man. We're, we're, we've all been there, brother. we we've all been there. But this <laughs> is oh, like yeah. – and,
2: and Heath, Pretty obviously – Heath, obviously this is frustrating for you as a performer and as a wrestler, but as a fan, Bully and Heath, you, you got to understand, like we were so invested in this storyline as fans. Like this is something that, you know, was so unique to the WWE. And then like it, you build and you build and you build, and then it's just like a fizzle out. And then once it fizzles out, it's dead. So like, you know, I you're know. looking at it like, so like you, you always talk about the business side of pro wrestling. When you look at the business side of pro how is this a good business move? You're making money. People are (laughs) invested in it, and then you just kill it. And once it's killed, it's dead. So, you know, on every level, that was such a bad decision that night at SummerSlam.
5: I agree with you. You, you you I can't even say it better myself. (laughs) I agree with you. (laughs) Bad decision.
3: So, I mean, obviously, the, the WWE always being a babyface company and, and only giving the nod to the heels if it's going to make a bigger babyface, they obviously should have done the right thing then. They didn't. We know the story. For 14 years, you were basically a slave to the grind of WWE. You know, sometimes being on the road as much as 300 days a year, I would assume. Right now... Yeah you're at home, you're with your family, you're finally getting to enjoy family life. You're actually, you probably feel like you can breathe again. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure you're you're too entertaining to not be involved in the world of pro wrestling anymore. Where do you see yourself in the future? If somebody would have come up to you right now and go, hey, here's a pencil. Write down what you want to do, where you want to do it, and who you want to do it with. When you look at the world outside of the WWE, what do you see for Heath Slater?
5: I see many, many options, man, being honest with you. I mean, me and you, you know, like you were saying, we've been in the ring together. You know I love to entertain and have a good time and work for the match. So I, I think with me, I want to just, you know, be one of those territory hoppers, man. Because, one, I have never been anywhere else, ever. I got signed at the age of 23, and I was on the Indies for like a year and a half, you know? And then it was developmental from Deep <clears throat> from deep South to FCW to NXT to WWE. To, you know, it's like I've never have been outside of those walls. So I feel like I'm a like a, a little you know, peacock that can fly, that's just flying around. And I want to dip my toes into, like, you know, hell, AEW, New Japan, TNA, ROH, NWA. Like, I'm serious. I just want to go work, have a good time doing it, man. Like, I'm going to come back with a new look. I'm going to be in the gym because, let's be honest, I did get out of shape. I need to get back in shape and I'm going to have new music, too, that my buddies making for me. So I'm going to hit the ground running when I can, but it's one of those things where, like, I just want to have some fun, go to these companies, work, you know, whoever would like to work me. Like, I, I am, this is like a new chapter, a new open book for me to where I literally just want to go and have some damn fun and have some fun in the ring and with the audience.
2: You know, it sounds to me, and you're you're one of those wrestlers, no matter what they did, the fans still loved you. The fans were still emotionally invested in you. Like you said, when you got the yeah. T-shirt on that says, I have kids, instantly probably everybody who's watching that show can relate because they have kids. Um, sure. So I, I don't think you're going to have any problem having that fan base follow you wherever you go. Now, this is coming as a fan, and you might scoff at this, and Bully, you might scoff at this as well. But this really upset me that something that happened with you at WrestleMania 28. And, you know, Bully and I started this show talking about uh, Dark Side of the Ring with Dr. D. David Schultz, where everything was protected. You know, nobody wanted to show any weakness, especially from somebody outside of the business. Did it bother you yeah. at all at WrestleMania 28 when they, you know, Flo a decked you and you fell to your, you know, did, did that bother you at all when they, when they asked you to do that?
5: It's it's one of those things, man, like that, that moment is that that's when Flowrider pushed me and I went against the wall, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Get this shit. Uh, so literally they wanted Flow Rider to do an interview, you know, just a little, you know, 20 second, whatever. So they're like, Hey, you, you know, you want to do this interview with uh, Flowrider? You know, he's going to push you down or whatever. I'm just like, sure. Why not? You know, it's Flowrider. He's actually a big dude. You know he was very popular back then, so I literally said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Because I've always did that. I didn't know, I didn't know how to say no type deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And but what got me was when we were in there and he was pushing me, he legit pushed me about ten times against the damn cinder block wall to where I looked over at Road Dogg and I'm like, "Dog, I'm not taking no more. Like this better be it." To where it was just like yeah, I'm on WrestleMania for getting pushed down by Flowrider, but my goodness, this is the hardest back bumps that I've been taking in years. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things to where, like, it, it's, yeah, I'm on Mania for that, in which it ain't like, oh, woohoo, I got on WrestleMania and got beat up by Flowrider. Nothing like that. Like, it wasn't one of those, like, I kind of forgot about it, being honest, until you mentioned it. But um, <laughs> Sorry.
3: Great job, you know, Dave. It's like, I don't... <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I um I, I don't I don't take shame, you know, in doing stuff like that. You know, if Snoop Dogg wanted to clothesline me and, and throw me over the top rope, sure. I'll make it look like Hulk Hogan did it back in the eighties. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yep. it's just one of those things like I don't take like I don't I'm not I'm not opposed to do it. You know, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I do know that my goodness, he has a hard push and my back hurt <laughs> like legit.
3: <laughs> Flow Rider needs to learn how to work.
5: Right, I try to teach the kid.
2: <laughs> some some people might listen to him and say he's got to learn how to rap too. But that's another conversation for another. <laughs> but, but we digress.
5: <laughs> hey, Bo, Bo Dallas, man, when we were in the social outcast got a rap battle against him, and and the whole like the place was chanting for Bo and Boo and Flow Rider because he actually did better.
3: <laughs> there you go. Not, not shocked at all. Um, he, Heath, just knowing your personality, yeah, like I said, you know, you're a good dude. I, I don't think you were ever a jealous kind of guy. I think you always, you know, wanted to see guys succeed. And you being a part of 3MB with Gender and Drew, uh, two-part question. How happy were you for each one of those guys when they were given these the big opportunities that they were given? And two, were you shocked by either one of them able to being able to get to the top of WWE and becoming champion?
5: Um, I was 100%, you know, happy because those guys are like legit friends of mine. Like, I love them. I care for them. So I know the struggles that they've been through because I went through it with them. You know, like I, I know it, I saw it, I was there with it. And, um, but no, 100%. That's my brother's, like, hell yeah, good for you guys. Um, gender was a shock because for some reason, I think everyone like thought gender was like a weak link or something. But dude, he is like the most motivated person I have ever met. And he's one of those guys that when his mind is set on a goal. He's going to get it. That's a fact like he's just that type of person. And I feel like gender rubbed that off on the drew because they're, they're best buds too, but they live in Florida. You know, they can hang out, they can, you know, do all that. And then like drew just got focused and, you know, and just, you know, hammered down and I mean, became champ. So I feel like gender is like a little guru dude that, with, like, some incense and next thing you know, you're going to see an epiphany or something. But, uh, but yeah, I think gender, man, his his mindset is just so damn strong to where, like, he's he's back, and he's probably going to go and fight Drew, you know, and all that stuff. And I hope they do. It'd be great. But, no, nah, man, I was 100% excited for him, happy for him, and they deserved it because they busted their damn ass.
3: Well, Heath, we're coming up uh, to the to our break right now. But before we before we go off, I just wanted to say one thing. I, I've told you this to your face. I've said this on social media, and I will say it again today. Uh, you took the very last 3D that me and Devon ever hit in the WWE. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You took it like a champion and I, and we appreciate you for it. And I hope I see you out there, you know, down the road. And I hope you get to do every single thing that you want to do. I hope you're a journeyman. I hope you go work in every single company. I hope you entertain as many people as you can make as much money and God bless you, brother.
5: Love it, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank you guys for having me.
1: Our good
2: friend, though he hates me, the one and only Cody Rhodes. Cody, how are you this morning?
4: Let's go ahead and get right to the more uh, pressing matter. I'm so glad we're talking about the semifinals. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous as can be one match at a time, do the work, all that good stuff. But I, I, I maybe I'm out of the loop, but I'm pretty fairly in the loop, I think, is it true, is this a valid thing, what I've seen, that you have not seen The Lord of the Rings?
2: I have not seen, not... First so, of all,
4: Cody, I'm... Uh, hold up, no, 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 no. Every
2: movie's, movie's like Lord five, six
4: hours. So you, don't, so you don't know about Frodo's journey, you don't know about Bilbo's journey, you don't know about the uruk you don't know about the army of the dead. Yet serious. Yet an actual company, a viable, real company in 2020 chose you to represent pop culture some way with professional wrestling. That is just flat-out irresponsible. That's uncultured. That's just clown stuff. You're stupid. That absolute clown, a little boy with a fire hydrant head, playing with a microphone. I am shocked. The Star Wars issue is is, is another issue aside, but how you haven't watched Lord of the Rings, you've got to watch Lord of the Rings.
2: Let me tell you something, Cody. That J.R.R. Tolkien guy was an asshole, all right? So I am not going to watch any movies from books that that man wrote. I don't have five hours to watch part three of The Enchanted Forest of the Lord of the Rings. I'm positive
4: that you have (sighs) more than five hours. I've pretty much seen what you do in a day. You have plenty (laughs) of time to watch Lord of the Rings. You have plenty of time, and you should give it a shot.
2: Please. No, I'm not. Listen, you got me to watch The Mandalorian. I did that for you, Cody. You know, the challenge is still out there. I'd love to do the watch along with you and Bully with, you know, Return of the Jedi or one of the other remake after movies, like whatever they they were called. I'll do that. But I am am not watching one of the Lord of the Ring movies. That is not going to take place.
4: So you, this is the thing that you don't realize. Like This is a different Cody you're talking to. This isn't little boy Cody who used to come on and talk about his wrestling matches. I'm an executive in the executive world right now. If you think your job with Sirius is safe because you just, you've got some sort of tenure, you're out of your freaking mind. You need to watch Lord of the Rings. You need to watch The Hobbit. You need to respect the culture that's in it, and then we'll talk. But I know Bubba is there. Bully is with you. So I'll talk
3: to bully today. Um, Go ahead, Dave. Basically you can just, yeah, you can just say goodbye to everybody and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Bye Dave. Have a nice day. Cody, how are you brother?
4: I am (laughs) really good. I am happy. It's Wednesday. It's my favorite day of the week. We've got the semifinals tonight uh, for this new TNT championship. So I am really good on the, on the eve of a big match as you've been on a Uh, many occasions. So very good.
3: I got to tell you, and I've told you this before privately, I've said it in public uh, on this show. You said, you know, Wednesday is, you know, your favorite day of the night, obviously, man, when you sit back as a fan and are you able to detach yourself from, you know, what you're doing as an executive and as a fan, when you watch all of the products, do you really, do you truly, and honestly believe that Dynamite is a more fun product than anything else you're getting on TV right now?
4: Oh yeah, um, wholeheartedly. And you know, during this period of time where uh, a lot of the content, you know, is pre-recorded or taped, uh, a good chunk of it, I still am seeing it multiple times. And one of the best things about when you go through these screeners or you look at items. Uh, in post-production is if they can just bring a smile to your face, an organic, real smile, or, and I'm sure you've seen this bully in in catering, because this is where it always happens, but that thing where wrestlers watch their matches and you see them start moving around, you know, like with uh, with the, the tight falls, and you see their face almost like going through the motions as they're watching them their own selves. That's one of those things with AEW. Like, it's always... Uh, brought a smile, and the content is king right now, especially right now with coronavirus and everything and the quarantine. Content is king, and I think our content is the best.
2: Go ahead, yeah, Dave. You is, can talk. Is, can, I, can I ask a question, or do I have to go on oh,
4: a five-hour walk like the first two, you can like write the first two Lord of, of the paper. Ring movies? Yeah, you can write your question down on a piece of paper, <laughs> and maybe Bully can ask it, because you've, you've gotten the rub off that guy for so long, and you continue to disrespect him by not having any Any bearing, any footing in pop culture. Who hasn't seen the best picture? Return of the King got the best picture. An Academy Award. It's it's asinine, Dave. Asinine.
2: Have you seen Bachelor Party? Have you seen Zapped? Have you seen Just One of the Guys? Have you seen the third Police Academy movies? That's culture, my friend.
4: Dave, I am I am thirty four. I am uh, the. I think you got the numbers wrong. I haven't seen any of the police academy movies. All right, and they, you know if I if oh. I draw a little heat for that, that's oh. like, okay. But you're not seeing Lord of the Rings. It's just bullshit. And and I know there's someone in that studio there, who, one of your higher ups or producers or somebody who can run it up the chain that we've got this idiot. We've got this absolute ignoramus, this mouth breather, this knuckle-dragger who's just in the XM busted open suite, just how you how you were chosen for this role. But what's your question?
3: I have well, I mean, to say, this is awesome, because there's no. no two wrestlers on the face of the earth that Dave sweats more than Cody Rhodes and Chris Jericho. All I hear about, ooh, Cody and Chris, Cody and Chris, oh, I want to get Cody on, and Chris this. To hear you burying fan. him... To hear you burying him is such music to my ears. And what Cody's saying is so right, Dave. No,
2: it's so wrong. And, you know, it's always like you hear, never meet your heroes. Well, this is an example
3: of it.
4: Wow. I've met met you a hundred times. You always introduce yourself like it's the first time. I've seen you. We've taken pictures together. I've been beyond cordial and beyond polite. But there are limits. There are limits. I think when you jealous go out there, you have a microphone that lots of people tune in for. A lot of people tune in for Busted right. Open. Right now, right. Jim Ross is probably listening. The legend, the greatest of all time, the GOAT, JR, is probably listening. And here we are in a discussion about a fantasy novel slash movie because of just how just much of a screaming dumbass you are. I no, would love a, to be talking you about You brought that. it up. I didn't
2: bring it. You brought it up. You're the one that starts the fights. I think it's jealousy, Bully, because when you go to AEW shows, what do you see? You see the big LaGreca heads. I don't see any big Cody heads. I see a lot of big Greca heads at the shows. Just go back and watch the footage, Cody. Don't see any, I don't, don't see any member. fucking Bilbo Baggins that ads, that
4: ads, at any of the AEW shows. NWO Eric Bischoff silver hairdo you got going on. I'm positive <laughs> it was a family member.
3: You look like Jerry Vale. You're the silver fox.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and by the way, the you know, only athlete that I want to see with no shoes on is Kevin Von Eric, not Bilbo Baggins. I don't need to see that shit. I'll go for a walk myself, and I have to watch it on TV, somebody going for a five-hour journey, walking from here to there through enchanted forests and all that crap. But the question that I wanted to ask you, Cody, about AEW, kind of follow up to what Bully was saying. And listen, Bully and I have been praising AEW up and down for the present, you know, the presentation that you have every single Wednesday. I mean, an awesome move having Jericho and Tony Schiavone doing commentary, because I think they've done a tremendous job and they're entertaining. And I don't want to say it's on the same level because that would be almost sacrilegious, but it does remind me a lot of Heenan and Monsoon where it doesn't matter what's going on in the ring. You can hear the commentary and you could be highly entertained. Do you agree with that?
4: I uh, wholeheartedly, there's a lot of uh, Heenan Monsoon, a lot of Ventura Monsoon as a, as another area. Uh, that I I actually said this to both Tony um, and Chris. I think people are going to miss the duo. And I think we've discovered, like, a lot of things have come up by necessity. There's been a bit of a look, you know, the movie The Replacements. There's been a bit of a replacement story with, you know, the limited roster we we had uh, as we were uh, filming during the quarantine. And one of the silver linings, and there's been a lot of them, is the duo. I think people are going to miss the commentary team of Jericho and Tony Schiavone, and to see Tony Schiavone grow into this role even further, a role that he didn't have to grow into, is really amazing. He's been an MVP um, during this time period, but I'm also real excited to get Jim, uh, to get Excalibur, and to get Taz back in, in the fold and get the full team together.
3: One of the things that you guys are doing with Taz I find very interesting and a lot more entertaining than I thought it would be is you're using him in that role to take – Moves and give the moves Credibility and I said it last week on the show I think that Taz is putting more credibility On certain guys moves Than the guys are actually doing by giving The moves and the other guys are actually doing By selling the moves Taz took took Jake Hagar's chokehold And made it interesting by giving us You know the breakdown and the nuances of it Taz gave us Kenny's V Trigger and broke it down That is an aspect Of your show that we're not getting from any other wrestling product out there and for the die hard wrestling fans who you know stand on the mountaintop and say that wrestling is a sport Taz is really bringing that sports like feel to TNA uh, no I'm sorry not TNA to aew so let me ask you this Cody whose idea was that is that something that taz brought to the table you thought of is that a Tony thing
4: no that's actually a, a DIY Taz uh, with assistance from the judge, Jeff Jones, that Taz was, you know, somebody that when everything went down was looking for things to do. He was not looking for the vacation. He was not looking for the shelter in place. He's he's kind of constantly moving. So he beta tested these. And uh, obviously, you know, the sports-based presentation is still a huge part of of professional wrestling. Even if we do offer a buffet and different types of presentations, that piece of it with a man trying to beat another man or a woman trying to beat another woman, that piece of it is incredibly significant. And that was something Taz did on himself. He beta-tested it. Uh, I loved it. I know Tony Khan loved it. And I also know the guys uh, and the girls, when, when they see their... Their piece of business uh, being talked about—that's a rub in itself. You get a rub from a legend by, like Taz, but you also get an actual deep dive. You, you're, you're analyzing something, uh, and this is really unique. Nothing pro wrestling is is unique enough in its representation of actual wrestling. But nothing is more shilly to me than really bad chain wrestling or really bad pretend folk-style wrestling. And Taz is one of those guys that there's there's nothing pretend. He knows the grips. Uh, he knows the sports mindset. It's just a really valuable thing that he brought to the table during this time. And technique by Taz is something that's going to stay.
2: Uh, Cody Lance Archer. Uh, we had him on the show. And, I mean, ju- just a great presence on your show for sure. Uh, what did you think of the debut, and what do you think of the pairing with him and Jake Roberts?
4: I've been careful with, uh, you know, my response in terms of—I definitely think Lance is is special. Uh, the fact that we were a company that had a lot of light heavyweights, and the next thing you know we've got, you know, a Hoss division when it comes to Wardlow, Luchasaurus, Lance, uh, Chicken even— um, you know, you've got these uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brody. You've got these big horses. All of a sudden, Lance Lance, I, I think is incredibly special. I think Jake Roberts is is an absolute uh, genius. Uh, but I, I I still don't buy into the hype that is that is Lance Archer. I have a weird uh, inclination to kind of always, you know, I don't know, have a stiff upper lip when it comes to oh, well, I was in Japan, I must be good. Well, you know, I saw your match with Will Osprey, and it was really great, but it's not like, you know, 10 years of a body of work that supports that all of a sudden you're the, the next big thing. That said, he's, he's really run through everything that's been put, in, been put in front of him, and he's a completely different type of wrestler for AEW. So having him here uh, is very important. I don't think he get out of the semifinals with Dustin, uh, I've said that's. I went on record and said it looks like it's going to be a double or nothing uh, rematch. Uh, I don't think he's wrestled somebody like Dustin. I think he's, you know, used to bullying around these light heavyweights, and that's not the case in what you have tonight.
3: Cody, one last one for me. I found uh, I really enjoyed the the video package that you opened up with last week on Dynamite putting everybody over, giving credibility to the tournament but you said something within the body of your promo that I found interesting, and I don't, I don't know if you're showing your hand a little bit or if you're reacting to some of the things that you hear out there. You asked yourself, am I getting too comfortable and am I becoming a bit too scattered? Well, I don't know. Are you getting too comfortable and do you feel like you're getting too scattered with all of the different hats that you need to wear in AEW? To be
4: fair... Um, I don't know if, I don't think I'll know if I'm too scattered until it hits me in the face. Uh, but I, I, it is a concern of mine because I'll give you an example, Brandy and I, we don't have any, uh, children. Uh, but when AEW became a thing, it's like we inherited 30 to 40 children. If that makes any sense the locker room, a lot of us, uh, Look to us for their their directives. Uh, some of them look to us for advice and mentorship, and it's wonderful. But now that's what my day is spent doing: communicating with everybody, even somebody who's you know a long-standing veteran in our industry. We were talking about Taz earlier. That's all I do: is I'm staring down, craning my neck, remotely looking at my phone, uh, talking to members of our locker room, and that is where I get worried and that's why I use the term scattered because I really wanna make sure that going into any match, especially a big match, that I have done the work. That's the slogan. You know, and I and that requires a great deal. I train for this the same way I would train for anything, uh on a high level pro sports uh, you know, situation. So I don't know, to be fair. I don't know and hopefully it doesn't hit me in the face, but it is a concern of mine is the time management. Do I have the ability to manage time and to manage a locker room in my capacity? And I have great people with me to share that responsibility with. And that's, you know, I won't know until I know.
2: Well, Cody, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. semifinal matches tonight. We got Lance Archer and Dustin Rhodes. And of course, Cody, and Darby Allen, and I'll make you this promise, Cody. If you watch the first Police Academy movie, which is on Netflix, they're all on Netflix, but if you watch the first Police Academy movie, I'll watch all three Lord of the Ring movies.
4: Dave, you have nowhere, screw you. You have nowhere, no leverage <laughs> to, to barter... With me to watch these police academy movies it's your it 's at your own detriment again you don 't think you oh. just think you're so safe in that chair next to bully, but how bad, especially in cancel culture, how bad of a thing to say out loud i haven 't seen Lord of the Rings just just top level first class first rate dumbass stuff and I just i'm so disappointed i 'm not ever going to watch the police academies ever. Oh, that's never that's gonna on happen. you
2: that's on you but you, and that's on you. But Cody. you should,
4: you should take the time to watch Lord of the Rings, to watch The Hobbit, to learn a little oh, something. You oh, come into the office, you talk with Bully mouth. about it, you talk oh, with others about, oh, you know, the you parallels in real life of- and, 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 and fantasy. There's never been a, a better time. That's, all right. That's something all right, yeah, yeah, all right
2: tell me how you like how you like Steve Gutenberg and the Police Academy movies. Thank you so much, Cody. Good luck tonight, my friend
4: thank you bully so much dave you can kiss my ass busted open i love you guys thank you tune in tnt semifinals love you guys thank you thanks for listening catch us monday through saturday on busted open from 9
1: a.m to noon eastern on sirius xm fight nation channel 156 the busted open podcast